Welcome back to another episode of the Hall of Sports podcast. I'm here with Kaylin Jones this week to kind of do a bit of a review show of the last week in the NFL because it's been a crazy week from some pretty wild scores, a lot of teams in the 40s this week to the kind of madness that's going on with the Baltimore and Pittsburgh game. So we're here to talk about that. Um, you can catch most of Kaylin's work from the Ringer. Is there anywhere in particular that most of fans can kind of look at all your stuff, Kalen. Oh, you can just check it out, theringer.com, or follow me along on, on Twitter. So either way. <laughs> yeah, that, that's good. Um, I was actually, I was listening to one of the podcasts that you recently did. Um, I think it was with Ryan Shazier on The Ringer. And one of the interesting parts, and I think it goes in with some of the scores from this week, that one of the main parts that you were talking about was kind of some of the bad coaching that's kind of been going on in the NFL in the last couple of weeks. Um, what teams in particular do you think where you look at some of these coaches, do you think that they're in a real bit of kind of trouble coming into the end of the season? We've seen already, I think, what is it, three or four teams that have already fired their coaches. We saw mm-hmm. Matt Patricia from the Lions this week along with the GM there. Get, get fired so how do you, how do you think that's that's gonna go what other teams do you think could be a possibility towards the end of the season um as far as moving on from their head coaches um i think it's really interesting like whether or not we see like you know adam gase i mean he's, he's definitely probably for sure on his way out with you know the jets own 11 and kind of just moving along trying to ensure that they finish with that top pick um aside from him you know I mean, Chicago's situation, I guess, like, the situations that are interesting. Like, Chicago's is really interesting because, you know, Matt Nagy obviously had the success, you know, early on in his tenure with Chicago, but over the past couple seasons, especially as, you know, the quarterback situation has not, you know, kind of figured itself out. Mitchell Trubisky, and then you had the the addition of Nick Foles this past offseason. It hasn't really worked out for them, so I'm really curious to see whether or not, like, there's any sort of shakeup there because they have a roster that's ready to compete right now. It's just they're missing a quarterback. Um, but additionally, you know, Doug Peterson, what he's done in, in Philadelphia, you know, at, you hinted at the podcast, and Ryan Chazier mentioned, you know, uh, Coach DeWin Super Bowls tend to get longer leashes, so he'll probably be there a little bit longer. Um, it's very cliche, but I think until, you know, Carson Wentz gets back to even playing, you know, I would even say, you know, average level quarterback play, um, you know, there's definitely got to be some type of discussion there because they invested a second round pick in Jalen Hurts. They have a roster that, again, is constructed to kind of go after it now. Um, and, it, you know, I think most of the other positions and spots where you've already had coaching firings, like with Detroit, um, with Houston, and uh, like, you know, where those are, you know, the, the spots that were projected, you know, even before the season started, where most head coaches or most prognosticators were saying that their head coaches would be fired. So, not too surprising there, but uh, I think those are situations to watch as of right now moving forward. Yeah, I think the obvious one you mentioned was the Jets. When you don't win a game, I don't think you can really <laughs> count, count your blessings to stay. So I think that one's been obvious for a while. And look for them until it, it was surprising because they have a, a young quarterback in Sam Darnold, but it, it just hasn't been working with the Jets. And obviously with the possibility of getting the f- first overall pick. I think everybody mm-hmm. is assuming that they're going to take Lawrence. But again, that that's an interesting situation, even for a new coach to kind of come into. The one that is interesting, especially for me, is because I do focus a lot on the NFC North and I've had a lot of 
kind of beat reporters that are around the Bears. And it's the mm. same, it's the same kind of story. Look, the defense is, is good. Um, the problems are just with the quarterback and the offensive line. It's It's been terrible. Like you mentioned Nagy, who came in and I think, what was it, 12 and 4, 13 and 3 that first season, gets coach of the year. But when I you look into kind of the statistics there is in terms of offense, he was they were 14th, I think, in his first season. But then the last two seasons have been 30th and 31st. And that's yeah. when that's when you have to worry about a coach because you always say that sometimes it takes the NFL to adjust to whether to play a new style of player, a new coach. Um, but if you can't then adjust back and try and kind of fix that issue that's happening you're not going to be long for a job. And we've seen that with Matt Nagy and it kind of goes, I think the reason why I find that one quite interesting is that's one of the pairings where it's hard to see Nagy get fired without the GM also getting fired because a lot of those decisions were hand in hand, both pace and Nagy. And you look at the big issue, like you mentioned was the quarterback position and that's been a big problem for as long as I can remember for, for the Bears. I don't think I don't think they've really ever been able to get that kind of higher echelon type quarterback. And it's going to take time, especially for me. I think they're in a, a bit of a weird situation because, as you mentioned, defense is great. They're they're ready to compete. The problem is that they still play the Detroit Lions next week. They play the Jacksonville Jaguars they win both those games, then you're kind of in no man's land where you're not high enough in the draft to be able to get a kind of franchise change in quarterback. And then do you kind of trade a lot of your assets to try and get that piece? Or do you have to get someone that can be productive and just go along with the defense? When a GM and a coach, especially within a good a good team, tend to leave, do you think it's a good idea that the team doesn't change too much that they try and stick, especially with the Bears, because you look at that defense and there's a lot of players on the defensive side of the ball that's under contract. So we the obvious ones, you have like Kyle Fuller, Khalil Mack, mm-hmm. Eddie Goldman, Akeem Hicks, Eddie Jackson, all of them are under contract. Do you think that might be a situation where the next GM or the next coach has to actually decide whether they need to kind of get more, because the cap space is a problem. Um, do they need to kind of get rid of some of the defensive players to get more offensive firepower if they don't get kind of those higher picks in the draft? Um, you know, that that's definitely a possibility. I think if there is a way where they could probably move on from some of the pass rushers that they, they've added on, um, maybe not Khalil Mack, maybe if you could somehow rework his massive deal. But um, I, I think maybe if you target the front seven, because they're secondary, you know, uh, I, I've read stuff from their defensive coordinator, at least, uh, some of their former coaches who have mentioned, you know, how important it is to have cover men before you focus on pass rushing. So maybe they'd look to kind of tweak things there. Um, but as far as, you know, their cast space and everything else, you know, I, I think this, the best situation for them, if they're not in position to draft a quarterback, would be, you know, kind of target that free agent quarterback class, you know, potentially, you know, potentially. I, I doubt Dak Prescott, you know, makes it to free agency. Yeah. But if, he's, if he's a name that's there, then they should definitely try to get him. Um, I mean, Cam Newton could potentially be a free agent. Jacoby Frizzette, uh, Jameis Winston, those are names who could all be on the free agency market. But um, I, I think that's where they would need to start. I wouldn't try to tear down that defense yet because it's so good. 
Um, but if they were in position to where they could nab a quarterback through free agency that gives them a chance to win, then maybe they decide to tear some stuff down and tweak in order to get in that position. But for now, I think that it, you know, you probably have two, three more years of runway with that defense performing at a top 10, maybe dropping the, the top 15 level over the next two years. So I would try to maximize that as much as I can. Um, unless you could trade it for assets that you can then flip into acquiring a quarterback. Yeah, I completely agree. And the reason why I think I bring up the Bears there is because the first kind of topic I was going to talk about was the NFC North we have. It's a weird division where at the start there was, I think people were estimating many different outcomes. The most obvious one was that the Packers were to win the division because when they have Aaron Rodgers, it, it's hard to kind of overcome that for the other three teams. But then nobody really knew what to make of the Vikings because it was a very young team, started off really poor, but have come on the last couple of weeks with the help of kind of Dalvin Cook. He's, he's been excellent the last few weeks. But then I know at the start of the season, there was a lot of people picking the Lions. But again, they've kind of shown that it's when you have to keep chopping and changing coaches where then makes your roster change dramatically it it's really difficult and we've seen we've already spoken about the bears where they're very kind of inconsistent in terms of offense and defense so how do you think that the three other teams obviously not the the packers can kind of close that gap because it's it's one of those that it is really weird because you look at the vikings they played against the packers and beat them and were excellent but you've seen them play against kind of our, what we would normally say would be average teams and they've struggled you have the lions and the bears who have been really well the bears have been really inconsistent winning the first kind of four or five games then losing the next five or six games H- how do you think those other teams actually need to try and close the gap on the green bay packers moving forward well, for Chicago, we just mentioned. So I, I think for addressing the quarterback position, I think that could, you know, be a complete difference maker for them offensively. Because their defense, again, has played at a top five level this season. So I think that, you know, if Chicago can just simply get a quarterback, maybe a new regime, they bring in a guy, um, that would, I think, absolve a, a, a significant portion of the problems. As for, you know, Minnesota, you know, quietly this season. And, you know, I, I think we talked about it yesterday on, on the podcast uh, for the ringer, um, you know, Zimmer's unit, they played a pretty tough opening schedule. I, it wasn't too surprising that they ended up in a hole one and four. Um, but at the same time, you know, we've seen them look pretty solid over the course of the past few weeks. And really, when you look at the advanced metrics, you know, they, they rank within the top 10 overall, when you look at off- weighted offensive and weighted defensive uh, adjusted value over average. They, they rank in the top 10 in both offensive and def- defensive categories this late into the season. So the big thing for me is, you know, whether or not you can maximize Kirk Cousins. I think that the addition of Ju- Justin Jefferson has done wonders for their offense, getting him more involved. Um, I think, but the biggest thing for them has been consistency, and they really haven't been able to get it, particularly out of their defense. They haven't had a consistent pass rush ever since letting go of uh, Yannick Ngakwe and not having Daniil Hunter in the lineup has really hurt them. Uh, Mike Zimmer has, you know, talked about his young secondary. There's been a lot of new guys who are trying to figure out the system. Um, and he's explained, you know, not having that offseason. And I know that we're 12 weeks into a regular season, but not having that offseason really hurt them and put them, you know, behind the eight ball coming into the year. So I don't think Minnesota is, you know, necessarily too far off. I, I, I know that seems strange to say considering the Packers are so far ahead, you know, in the standings. But I think Minnesota has played pretty well. As for Detroit, you know, moving forward, 
you know, when, whoever they decide to bring in um, and install is, you know, the new head coach and the new GM. I think that, you know, they have to make a decision whether they're going to, you know, kind of continue building around Matthew Stafford over the, you know, the next few years, even though he's later into his career. And, you know, I, like you mentioned earlier, if you're not in position to draft a quarterback, does it really make sense to move on from, you know, someone who's performed at a top 10, top 15 level consistently over the course of his career? So I think that you probably stick around with Matt Stafford, even though he's got a pretty uh, significant cap hit. Um, they have some young talent there, especially on the defensive side of the ball. I think that with Patricia, the biggest thing was he was trying to make, you know, uh, the Lions players kind of fit a New England Patriots system, a lot of heavy cover one. Um, I think they, they actually led the league over the past three seasons in cover one coverage, according uh, to PFF Seth Galena. Um, he reported that the other day. And, you know, trying to bend this secondary unit to playing that coverage went over the course of the past three years. They've proven consistently that they have not been good at it, especially when you don't have a pass rush. Um, I think that's really been the biggest issue. So kind of they need to bring in a coach who's willing to cater to the strengths of the players that they have, particularly on the defensive side of the ball. Offensively, I think they'll be solid. I think they have some pieces, again, like Stafford, DeAndre Swift. They have a pretty solid receiving core, and then including TJ Hawkinson. So I think that there's potential for really all three teams. Um, I think maybe the Lions face the biggest uphill battle in terms of tweaking things, but Minnesota isn't too far off, I think. They just need to, again, play more consistent ball in Chicago just needs to revamp their offense to really, you know, make the most out of their passing game, and especially a player like Allen Robinson and Anthony Miller. Yeah, it's it's an interesting one because when we talk about what we said earlier on with the coaching changes, let's assume if Nagy and Pace for the Bears were, were gone at the end of the season. You have two teams in that division that are completely revamping it. Both those teams – you do kind of see every so every couple of years that there's changes that are made. When that doesn't, when it hasn't been working for those teams, and there's plenty of them in the NFL. You just look at the Jets as well, where they're constantly changing coaches and GMs. What's kind of the best way forward to try and kind of fix those issues? So it's not a short term kind of solution when you need to kind of fix your franchise long term. Is it bringing in kind of a more experienced? person at the GM spot or is it trying to kind of nab one of these really high profile scouts in a successful franchise what what way do you think NFL teams that let's just say they do chop and change a lot should be going to kind of moving forward um I think it's you know I would focus on you know bringing in a high high level scout you know someone who has a really high acumen because look if you can build your team with talent if you can add any type of influx of talent then it could sometimes it can overcompensate for whatever deficiencies that you might have at a coaching perspective. So I, I think the GM position is the really, you know, kind of the the pivot, the really big pivot, because if you if you, you know, hit a home run there, it doesn't really matter. I, I mean, it'll still matter, obviously, but it has more significance than, you know, having a, a great head coach. You can have a decent head coach and still, you know, manage to turn out some wins if you have a productive and talented roster. And I think that would be the way that I would try to construct things. Um, in the past, we've seen, you know, GMs who maybe don't have um, scouting experience or, you know, are kind of outsiders or maybe the, I wouldn't even say the analytics. I don't even want to criticize them per se because I'm a big fan of them and the numbers and everything. But if you bring in outsiders or people that aren't familiar or at least have a successful track record, 
and identifying talent, then I think that's going to be an uphill climb for you, you know, to, you know, to take a roster and really construct it into a way that, you know, succeeds, particularly in a difficult NFC North with, like you said, the Packers have been consistently over the past, you know, at least ever since I've been alive, they've been consistently, you know, producing talent or at least being able to identify talent. A lot of it has to do with the quarterback, but again, I think that's a big part of it too. Like being able to identify talent is more important to me, at least when you're building a team than, you know, having a, a high level coach. But I think they go hand in hand because you can't have a success. You can't, you know, turn into a dynasty without having both. You know, you look at the New England Patriots and now with the Kansas City Chiefs, you know, it, between Bill Belichick and I mean, really, it's been Bill Belichick being acting as a GM for New England for however long. And then with Kansas City, you have Brett Beach and Andy Reid. That's a phenomenal pairing. And you just kind of see the success and how important it is to have both. But I would, you know, focus on GM. Yeah, I, I completely agree in in that stage of it. When you look at, and I tend to compare it to the other sports as well. I look at kind of the NBA and MLB and baseball as well and how some teams that weren't able to win for so long are able to kind of reconstruct kind of the culture within an organization. And the one interesting point that comes up is when you look at kind of baseball and basketball, it's not just you have your GM and then you have your coaches. You have that kind of, I know in baseball, it's the head of baseball operations and things like that. Do you ever think that a team might try and extend kind of their main front office where they might have two guys there where there's the GM and then also someone that's kind of the figurehead there? Because we always hear of the two main factors are the GM and then the head coach. But we don't, you look at it even in um, the NBA as well. You have kind of the head of basketball operations and then you have your GM. Do you ever think that you'll see that in the NFL or is it just that the GM is that kind of just the role that will be played for all these organizations? Um, I think that there, I think a smart GM would be able, someone who doesn't have a big ego would be willing you know, to kind of have someone in that sort of, you know, I wouldn't say figurehead position, I guess, but someone who, there, there should be a way to displace like all of the roles, right? It shouldn't just be one person. Like if you look at San Francisco's setup, like John Lynch, he's not, you know, just set up. He has, you know, a whole team of, I believe, Adam Peters, um, RJ Gillen and uh, others within that front office who play a role and, you know, different duties instead of, you know, just having one central figure in John Lynch having, be decisive for you know everything that goes on within the organization um i think that's important that you know there's distinctive roles you know within a franchise i think that the nfl you know provided that gms perhaps even let their ego down and allow that to be a, a scenario where that happens i think that's important i'm sure that there's you know organizations that do but like you said as far as official titles um i can see it down the road for sure i, I think that you know as you know, we get more, in, 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 especially as the game becomes more, um, you know, statistics, as, as statistics becomes such a, a big role, and, you know, people identify trends and there's way to identify, there's different ways to identify things now. I think that there's so much data and resources available. And then even within scouting, there's just so many, so much has changed over the past 20 years, you know, even with the, you know, with technology, I mean, players are able to, the scout, you know, um, on their iPads instead of, you know, having to sit in front of a VCR and a DVD player, you know, it's, it's just little ad, little stuff like that, that we don't really take into account for. But I, I think definitely for sure, you know, as time goes on, 
I wouldn't be shocked at all if we see like front offices have more, you know, split up and divvied up duties that make it more, you know, I guess publicly not knowledgeable for us to know like who's doing what within a front office. It wouldn't surprise me at all. Yeah, it's a it's a good kind of point, I think, because I know the one story that comes out every single year when there's the new coaches and new GMs is the kind of hiring of minority candidates as well, because it's been a huge problem. We've we saw it last year with where a lot of people were surprised that Eric Bieniemy didn't get picked up by a team. But we also see that there's not that many in front offices. And I guess if you have those kind of two or three big roles that now you're seeing kind of front offices widen a little bit, you might get kind of more kind of diversity within a front office, which is needed in a sport that really, whatever it is, 80, 90% is African-American compared to, compared to let's say baseball for example where it's the completely opposite i think it's it makes it i think where the look of a front office probably represents more of what your team and what the sport should look like you see it in many different sports that generally your kind of organization your organization should probably represent your team and we don't see that that much in the nfl because you see it where the majority of GMs are white. The majority of head coaches are as well. And it's been a big problem. How do you think that the NFL needs to kind of improve on that in order to get kind of more diversity in these kind of big roles within an organization? Um, I think, you know, it, the biggest thing that I've heard, you know, at least from, you know, media members and then even, you know, people within the NFL, like I, not that I know personally that I've seen on TV, just to make that clear. Um, <laughs> uh, but I mean, like, the, the big thing is, like, people always say that there's not enough, uh, there's not a big enough pool for people to pick from. There's not enough coordinators. You know, everyone assumes that you have to be a coordinator in order to get, you know, a head coach, a head coaching role. And like you mentioned, like Eric Bieniemy, like, it's a, it's shocking to see someone who, who has had success, you know, and I know that his, I guess, when you look at his career outside of Kansas City, he hasn't done all that much. But it, 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 you know, for other coaches, that stint with Kansas City would be enough to almost immediately land you a head coaching job the following offseason. Um, I mean, we've seen it with Joe Judge, you know, just having, you know, worked with uh, New England staff as a special teams coordinator in Alabama, too. So and he ends up being the New York Giants head coach. So there, there's definitely situations where um, it, it, the NFL has made it clear you don't have to have coordinating experience or even have a, I guess, robust resume to be considered for a head coaching role. And so it, it's confounding to me where, you know, the answer to your question, I guess like people need to be willing to take chances on, you know, coaches who are up and coming and maybe are considered potential uh, hot shots and who, who are African-American or black or pe people of color. You know, it, it, it needs to happen because it's, there's been that same uh, willingness to, you know, or I guess take a chance on people before. I mean, we've seen with Zach Taylor up in Cincinnati was on Sean McVay's staff. Sean McVay being however old he was when he was getting an opportunity. Outside of Mike Tomlin, outside, uh, I can't think of really any other names. I, I can't think of, you know, any no, young <laughs> black coaches who have been given a chance, you know, outside of not having, you know, too much NFL experience. It typically is older people. So, I think that, you know, maybe there, there's guys like Deuce Staley, there's guys like Scott Montgomery. Um, I think even, even Aaron Glenn, like there, there's people who 
within the NFL realm, I think aren't, you know, at coordinating or high profile roles yet. But I think that's definitely what has been established as the required pathway for African-American and black head coaches to get um, any type of recognition to, you know, within that head coaching pool. But, you know, I, I think that people need to understand that it's a little bit deeper than just, you know, what's on the surface. Yeah, I completely agree. It's one, it's one of those kind of topics I like to kind of look into when the head coaches are coming around. Because, look, it's every single season there's about seven or eight teams that the head coach is available because it's just the way it works out. We've already had, I think, four, and you assume there's probably three or four more that get fired as well at the end of the season. And it's the same every year. And I I think in terms of when you're looking at it, it would make sense if it was in a given year or maybe two or three years where there hasn't been kind of a head coach hired or even one kind of given real consideration. And I think that's the biggest issue when you have, like I said, when the majority of the players are African-American and they don't see a head coach that kind of resonates with them, it's it, it's kind of a problem because you're having to try and build this culture. But you have to remember is that all these guys are coming from different backgrounds. And if you don't have the coaches that have the similar background, it's kind of hard to bring them together. And I just feel like it has to get to some point of where the NFL starts to change and, like you said, takes risks because we've seen other guys that have come in that haven't been the like kind of the prototypical pathway where you go offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, and then suddenly you're the head coach. We've seen guys, we've seen quarterback coaches, we've yeah. seen kind of um, not so much like the main special teams coach, but we've seen kind of different pathways for other coaches that have worked and they've been brought in but it just seems like there some organizations haven't actually taken that risk and it's it's a bit unfortunate because you look at even we look at the Steelers with Mike Tomlin how long he's been there and he's still an excellent head coach for them and I know it was a few years ago that people were talking about him possibly leaving Pittsburgh and it was kind of baffling because of how successful he's been but again it's about kind of taking that chance. And I think that's one thing that the NFL needs to try and do. And I guess, I know, I think it came up last year that it was important that not only was it in the coaching level, but also in the front office that you had, that you had guys and you had that diversity that actually kind of fit in with what way the organization was going. Um, so th I think that's, that's kind of a good way to kind of end on kind of the, coaching search because again we don't know what's going to happen but normally like we said there's usually seven or eight teams that are looking for either a gm or a head coach or both and there's probably a little bit more in terms of for for this year because we've seen already a couple of gms get fired um yeah. one of the one of the things as we talk about kind of the steelers just there that's important that just came out today was that the ravens and steelers game is actually going to happen um, I don't think anyone knew if this was going to happen. It's been postponed about three or four different times. Um, I I was talking on a podcast la last week to a Steelers reporter, and I was asking, well, who does it benefit for this game to kind of go ahead now? Because it's been um, because it's been postponed um, for. I think it was originally supposed to be on Sunday, then or Thursday, then went Sunday, then. Um, I think originally they were thinking Monday or Tuesday and now today. Um, 
So who do you think it actually benefits? The fact that the Ravens have been not able to practice for, what is it, 10 days because of COVID? Or is it the Steelers just not knowing if they're going to play this game, not getting the bye week because they lost it early on in the season as well because of COVID problems? Um, Who do you think that this game actually benefits now that they've come about a week and a half since they were expecting to play this game? <laughs> well, I mean, it benefits the NFL the most because they get their TV money. But um, as far as like the teams, I mean, it, it from a from a I guess health perspective, I mean, really, it's been the Steelers. Like you mentioned, they had that bye week, you know, all the way back in week four, I believe, with the Tennessee Titans when their game was uh, postponed because of COVID. Um, you know, having an older quarterback like Ben Roethlisberger, I, I mentioned this before in a previous post. For the ringer, like, you know, the biggest flaw for them has been Ben Roethlisberger offensively. And really the biggest fatal flaw was, you know, whether or not he could stay healthy. And, you know, I think, you know, allowing him to have, you know, this entire week now of being able to, you know, I guess not, you know, have to play in a game scenario, assuming that he's not getting hit at practice. That's pretty vital, especially down the line for someone of his age. And I know that the offense relies so heavily on him. We saw how much of a difference you know, not just earlier this season when Mason Rudolph played, but even last year, how much of a difference it makes when he is on and off the field for Pittsburgh. So I think, you know, it, it all in a weird way to put this, you know, if it was going to benefit anybody, if it's benefited the Steelers the most um, for Baltimore, it, it'll be interesting to see how, you know, they kind of go into this matchup, you know, not having, you know, any real practice time together over the course of the past week or so. So uh, Steelers definitely have the advantage. They already did have the advantage coming in, so uh, they have an added advantage now for sure. Yeah, it's an interesting matchup as well because you look at the Steelers and how good they've been this year. Their defense has been excellent, and you've seen some kind of offensive players that have really stood out. One that I liked a lot in college when he was coming out um, last year was Chase Claypool, and I was surprised when there's a lot of draft analysts saying like fourth, fifth round, because every time you watch Notre Dame, he was making plays. Um, and it's not a big surprise that he's continued to do that now for the Steelers. And it seems every single draft, the Steelers pick a wide receiver that's, that suddenly is producing for them. In a season where, as we mentioned before, there's been no preseason, just how impactful do you think that is from a rookie to be able to play at the level that Chase Claypool has and how helpful is that for Ben Roethlisberger coming back from that serious injury last year? Oh, it's massive. You know, having as many weapons as they've had offensively, um, you know, what Pittsburgh has been able to do, you know, even before Claypool over the past 15 years, really, in terms of identifying receiver talent has been really, really interesting. And everybody has been special. And, And to your point about Claypool, you know, especially in the red zone, I feel like he's just such a you know, key part of what they're able to do. Someone that big and athletic, you know, I I know Juju Smith-Schuster is a very talented player, but I feel like what Claypool is able to do in terms of verticality, um, I believe he's six foot three, six foot four. Um, He looks like he's 220 pounds. Big dude can run and, you know, can win the ball in the air. And I think that's where he's really made a difference. And then the Steelers use him just like they use every, all their other receivers you know, in that jet motion action, you know, pre-snap and being able to get him ball in different ways. It's just a really, uh, really special playmaker, which I, I wasn't one of those people saying fourth or fifth round, but I was, I was, you know, not thinking he was a top, 
for a receiver within the past draft class. And I mean, he's defied my expectations by a mile. Yeah, absolutely. I can remember, I think it was probably on draft day where people were saying that he could play at the tight end position because of his size as well. People, I know there were certain teams that were thinking of that, but you look at the impact that he's, that he's had, and especially in a year that, Juju is kind of going into I think this is his last season in his current contract and with the salary cap probably going to go down by quite a lot it this may end up making that kind of decision a little easier for the Steelers because they know they have that next player up and look they'll probably draft another wide receiver in the draft and <laughs> he'll be the next one going um but yeah, it's, it's an interesting one because you look at the Steelers and like I've said, they've been excellent. And we think of the Ravens in the past couple of seasons. In the regular season have been electric. You, It's been impossible to stop Lamar Jackson, it seems, in the regular season. But then once the defense is tightened in the playoffs, they really tend to struggle kind of moving forward. Is there anything that the Ravens can do to try and get over that hump or is it just that they're going to need to have just more playmakers and it's not just going to be down to Lamar Jackson because whether they like it or not one of his main kind of abilities is with his legs and I know a lot of teams feel like if they can stop that then they might have a chance but is there anything that the Ravens can kind of do even looking into this week because the Steelers currently unbeaten is there anything they can do different to try and overcome kind of and beat the Steelers this week? Uh, it'll be difficult, you know, especially with RG3 in the lineup. Uh, it's going to be really, really difficult for Baltimore. You know, they face a really uphill, a steep uphill battle, you know, going into this match because of what they're able to do. Their offense just looks so stagnant. And, you know, I, I know that, you know, people have talked about their offensive coordinator. Um, you know, having, you know, gone at different stops, he usually kind of has a second year kind of lull with his star players, or at least his star quarterbacks and what they're able to do in terms of their second year. So I think that's really what it's been. It's just kind of been, I think the offense has been really stagnant and they don't really utilize all the playmakers, you know, that they have, you know, available to them. It'd be nice to see them utilize J.K. Dobbins a little bit more within the lineup. Um, it'd be nice for them to get Mark Andrews involved a little bit more in different ways as far as, you know, getting him involved in the short game and the intermediate game as opposed to trying to use him over the middle of the field. Um, I think that there's ways to scheme up Marquise Brown, uh, getting him more deep shots and looks within the game too. And then just the the timing, you know, I wouldn't just say the timing. You know, Lamar Jackson has actually told media members that, you know, he feels that the Ravens offense is, you know, kind of schemed out. You know, defenses, defenses have been able to call out what they're doing before the snap is even happening. And even with someone as good as Lamar Jackson, someone that athletic, you know, if a defensive player is able, not even just one defensive player, but entire defensive new, new unit knows what you're doing, it's probably going to end up being stopped. So I think moving forward, there just needs to be more diversity within their offense. I know that this, again, having the co having COVID-19, you know, completely alter the offseason really hurt them, I feel, even though there was that continuity the book was kind of out on what they were doing. So not having that time and not being able to adjust on the fly mid-season has really hurt them. And I think, you know, if you know they're able to make those adjustments over the past final few weeks, I think that they have a shot to really, you know, not just push for the playoffs, but I think they have a, a talented enough roster to where they can compete again and be considered Super Bowl contenders. But 
until they figure it out offensively, I think that their potential is really capped, even with someone as supremely talented as Jackson. Yeah, it's it's a very interesting one. And you kind of look at the way it's gone this season, and it's 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 different because we obviously are dealing with COVID. We haven't had the preseason. We look at you, you just have to look at the scores from last week with there was mm-hmm. about five or six teams that hit 40. There was teams that were playing really well that were terrible. You look at the Raiders only getting six points. You look, there's been the normal teams. You have kind of the Seahawks continu- continuing to win. Um, you have, but there's a lot of close games and a lot of games that you really don't know what to kind of expect. And we mentioned before, some of it can be down to coaching. A lot of it's down to injury as well and players not being available because of COVID. But kind of moving or using that to kind of project going forward, has there been any teams that have surprised you this season in kind of a good way that they're kind of pushing towards the playoffs that maybe you didn't expect? Or is there any teams that have surprised you in the opposite way that you expected to be a playoff team and currently don't really look to be making the playoffs? Uh, I guess the first surprise, I'd probably say uh, Miami. I, I guess I would, and that's the funny part. Like they, they look, they, they were that frisky team sort of the end of last year. I thought Ryan Flores was doing a pretty good job coaching, you know, all things considered. Um, they don't have a really talented roster, but they were still, you know, they weren't, they didn't look horrible at times. I'll say that. They they looked bad, but they didn't look horrible. But seeing them, you know, make the jump this year to being squarely within the playoff race was surprising to me. And I guess the other surprise to me too was Tennessee. I, I wasn't expecting them to, you know, kind of replicate the the success that they had last year. I wasn't a, a firm believer in Ryan Tannehill, uh, nor was I necessarily a firm believer in the game plan they they have offensively, which is really rely on on rushing the football, kind of countered the what you rely on it nearly as much, even though they have weapons within the passing game. Um, you know, they really rely on the running game. They're still right there at eight and three, squarely at the number three or number four seed in the AFC playoff race. So those are the probably uh, surprising in a good way. Surprising in a bad way, I would honestly say New England. And I know that, you know, it was kind of expected that they would have regression because, you know, again, they lose with Tom Brady. They didn't have that much of a talented roster before. They barely squeaked into the playoffs as it was last year. Um, but, you know, I was really shocked to see that, you know, they, they took such a nosedive after, you know, those first couple of weeks within the season where they looked like they, you know, it, it was going to, you know, Cam Newton was going to keep the ship afloat for New England as far as, you know, reaching the playoffs and remaining competitive within their division. And that hasn't happened this year. Um, I'm trying to think of potentially any other surprises. I was kind of shocked that, you know, Atlanta. Yeah, I know people weren't really high on them, but Atlanta for them to be so far down for them the the steamroll the Raiders last last week. I, I think that was kind of you know some of the glimpses of what I expected from that team this year. I, I thought that they would be you know at least competitive within the NFC. They have a talented enough roster, and I think that the coaching really let them down throughout the first portion of the year. Yeah, it's an it is an interesting one there, especially when you mention Atlanta. Everyone remembers kind of the Super Bowl season where. The offense just looked insanely good and really hasn't replicated it, even though the kind of main cogs to the offense are still there. You have Julio, you have Matt Ryan. You still have other kind of weapons that could be used, but it just seems like it hasn't worked out. And obviously is the reason why they made the change early on in the season because they got off to a terrible start. 
Um, the I guess the other thing that I was looking at was when you look at the playoff, how the way the playoffs work in where you look at the division winners kind of getting in the highest part. Then when you look at a division like we see with the likes of in the Eagles division, you have the Giants, Eagles, Washington and Dallas all below 500. And yet one of those teams is going to win that division and probably get into the playoffs most likely with the losing record if they continue playing the way they are. Um, how do you, is there anything that the NFL has to worry about when you see a division that, and it's not just this season, it's been previous years where it's been kind of a weaker division where you're seeing a team with that's eight and eight get in or seven and nine get in. Do you think that's something that the NFL needs to start looking at is if there's divisions that you're seeing these winners that they're not really coming out with a record that you would associate with a team winning the division? Is there anything that they would even think of doing and even if it was relation to kind of the rankings of kind of the playoff teams i think there should be you know i I think there should be some type of alteration to where i guess you would have you know the best eight teams get in but at the same time you know divisions create such a weird incentive i I don't know how to phrase it for four teams to perform at high levels. And I think it, it makes it more competitive in a sense too. You know, I, I know that having a free for all, I guess would, um, you know, having open playoffs would I, it simultaneously would also make it better. I don't know, maybe it's just because of nostalgia for me. I guess it's because it's traditionalist, I guess, version of me, even though I typically try not to be. Um, I, I kind of enjoy the way that the playoffs are set up, but also, you know, I'd, be, I'd totally be open to having an open playoff format where, you know, you, again, you have the eight best teams. That way, honestly, you have more quality football te- games in when, when it comes to the postseason. The ironic part within that is I believe the last two teams to reach the playoffs without a winning record. I know Seattle was one of them. I'm blanking on the other. I think it was either the Falcons or the Panthers. They ended up winning their playoff game. So when they made it, to, when they made it in, so, you know, it, it I, I think, you know, if, if the Eagles or, you know, the Giants or somebody out of the NFC East was to go on and lose and look pathetic in their postseason game this season, then I think that the discussion should definitely be had for, you know, opening up like the postseason going into next year. But I mean, hey, if, they, if that team ends up winning a game, I don't know if the system is necessarily broken because you're producing, you know, at least a a playoff caliber person, you know, for whatever reason in that one game, they're at least performing at a high enough level of where it's entertaining and they're winning. So we'll see. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's, I think the talk of it kind of happens is because you see just how putrid that division has been this year, where I think there's a new leader every single week. Now you don't know who's going to win. I think from the last time I checked, I think they're pretty much all on the same record. Um, and it's, to say from the start of the season that at this point the Giants or Washington would have a chance to win a division, it, it kind of seems foreign. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, it's it's an it's an interesting one in terms of kind of wrapping up this kind of um, talk about the playoffs. I think because New England has been what they are now without Tom Brady, it's kind of opened up that AFC where even though the Chiefs won last year, everybody expected for years and years and years that, okay, AFC is New England and then the NFC is open. 
But then this year we look at it, and really, if you look at both conferences, it's pretty open in terms of both in both conferences, which we don't see that often when it comes to kind of the playoffs. We that first kind of weekend or two, we tend to get really, really good NFC games. And then we got a few blowouts in the AFC. And I think this year might be a little bit different where I don't know if it's because of the expanded playoffs or if it's just the way the NFL is this year, that it seems like the race for the Super Bowl is kind of a little bit more open this year than we've seen prior years. Who do you think are kind of the main contenders from the AFC and NFC to actually make the Super Bowl this year from what we can see so far? Uh, so from the AFC, I, I think it's clear cut. You know, you have Pittsburgh and Kansas City. I think those are the top two teams. And then, you know, I, I, it's weird to say because, you know, all the week ago, I think I was saying Tennessee would be on, you know, the cusp of not making the playoffs. But I think Tennessee, you know, considering on uh, considering how they've looked and how they've performed, you know, over the past two seasons now, you know, I think that you really have to consider them a legitimate uh, Super Bowl contender the way that they perform. Um, out of the NFC, I think that you have the Saints. Um, I think that the Seahawks. I think the Packers. And <laughs> I mean, you, you could literally. I think you could open that up to literally four or five teams. Uh, it might even throw the Rams and the Bucks into that mix, to where they could end up competing for a Super Bowl. I think it's very much more wide open within the NFC. And the Saints. I think they could end up pulling away from that pack. You know, if Drew Brees is healthy, if they clearly have a healthy quarterback that can function within their system. Because I don't know if Taysom Hill going up against, you know, if they all go up against like Seattle or Green Bay or some other team that can produce offensively, you know, I don't trust Taysom Hill to be able to keep up, even though they have a standout defense. Um, but at the same time, you know, I think that they have the most complete team out of anyone else in the NFC at this point right now. So it's pretty wide open though otherwise. Yeah, absolutely. Um, just before we end, just want to remind everybody to like, subscribe, and also um, just a big thanks to you, Caelan, for joining me today. Um, remember, for everybody, I would say, and I've mentioned before, I've listened to the podcast that was just done recently um, on The Ringer, and really anybody that kind of wants more about kind of the way the coaching search might even go and it was a really interesting episode and i think a lot of people should actually spend the time and listen to it it was really really good um and also just to follow you along both on twitter and also just some of the stories that you've written on the ringer have been really good recently i had a a look at a couple of them today um so just again thanks for joining me today of course man thank you for having me i appreciate it all right thank you